Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, Sona and I will be breaking down the second episode of the second season of Yellow Jackets, an episode called Edible Complex. Get it? See what they did there, Sona? So clever. <laughs> so clever. I love a cannibalism pun. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I do love puns generally, but you know <laughs> my feelings. My dislike for cannibalism is greater than my fondness for puns. Before we get into the breakdown of the episode, I actually wanted to make some recommendations to the audience at large, but I have one recommendation that I think you specifically, Sona, should key in on. Uh, the first one I was going to make a recommendation for, the this movie's not great, and as a matter of fact, it is so much crimping from the David Fincher movie, Zodiac, that it really just made me want to watch Zodiac again. <laughs> like there's <laughs> just certain stylistics of it. Also like thematically about pursuing a serial killer and then having to accept the fact that maybe you'll never actually know what happened. And this movie is called Boston Strangler and it's available on Hulu. And it has Kira Knightley and Carrie Coon as these two protagonists, real life, these two reporters, these women who helped to investigate this case and just basically made the city aware of the fact that there was actually a serial killer at large, that these murders were related when the um, powers that be wanted to basically cover it up. The story's a really fascinating story. I don't think this film is very compelling given how compelling the case is, but I think the case is interesting enough where you should check out the movie. And I have a secondary recommendation, which is there's a podcast, I believe this film is loosely based on which is called Stranglers with an S at the end. That's kind of a giveaway as to the theory of the case here. The case is very interesting. The film is okay. <laughs> but okay. I think that if you want to know more about this particular case, it is really fascinating to re-litigating the, the story and the facts of the case. Mm -hmm. All right. The second thing just started yesterday. I watched two of the three episodes that are available. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called The Power, and it's based on a novel that I actually read back in 20... I probably read it, I think it came out in 2018. I probably read it right when the pandemic started. I read a lot of books <laughs> at that point. Mm -hmm. I haven't like, read anything in the past year or so. But uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I read a lot of books. And one of the ones I read was this feminist science fiction novel called The Power. And it's about how in the near future, women develop this ability, like an electric eel or something. They like develop like an organ that allows them to conduct electricity, basically. It starts to happen among like these pubescent girls, and then they can activate it in other women as well. And it's just this, it's almost told, the book itself is told as like a historical document about how this led to like huge cultural upheaval because women were suddenly not physically intimidated by men. And then it's like this thought exercise of like how this would change history. And mm -hmm. it, it's a globe-trotting uh, story. It jumps many decades into the future and you see things changing. The series can't really do that, although they have most of the same protagonists from the book, like the, the, their POV characters. But the story is being told pretty slowly compared to how briskly the book runs. But I'm still on the fence as to whether this is going to be a satisfying season of show or whether they're just setting up season two. But I'd say the premise is very, very interesting. And the cast is great. You have Tony Collette. It's, I mean, it's an all-star cast, basically. The, Tony Collette is the, the main protagonist. Uh, but there's so many different point of view characters that it's like dozens of POV characters in this sprawling story all over the world, international cast. If you haven't read the book, you're probably just going to be interested in the concept of it as well. I think this would be an interesting show to watch. So I'm 
tentatively making a recommendation. <laughs> yeah, those are some lukewarm recommendations, Victor, but okay. <laughs> Here's the enthusiastic one. And by the way, aimed right at you, because I know how much you like shrinking. There's mm-hmm. a new show on Apple TV Plus. And I really feel like this is Apple is finding shows to build on previous successes. You had Ted Lasso just came back. Some of the people who created Ted Lasso are the writers on Shrinking, which of course had a lot of that Ted Lasso feel. And now I think this is a perfect segue from Shrinking into this show called The Big Door Prize. Mm -hmm. There's three episodes available. They're only 30 minute episodes. So it's a pretty easy to watch. And then they'll go week to week. And the other thing I would compare it to is another show that I recommended here on the podcast called Tales from the Loop, which is an anthology science fiction show. And the reason I think of that show is because that was an anthology. However, the same characters keep repeating in each other's stories. This is not an anthology show. It's more of a bunch of friends hanging out. And uh, so it feels a lot like shrinking in its structure. It's a comedy too, which uh, Tales from the Loop was not. But the reason it feels like an anthology is because the premise of the show, and also based on the book, by the way, people go into this convenience store and there's a machine that they put in their social security number and they put their palms on this machine and it gives you a card with a word on it. And the word basically tells you what your life potential is supposedly. Mm -hmm. And what this leads to, uh, like this kind of crisis of conscience that everybody goes into because what does this word mean? People are quitting their jobs, starting new lives, depending on their interpretation of this word. And then it's very ironic sometimes that someone will say, I changed my life because of this. And then other people will look at the same card and say, but that's what you do right now. And they're like, no, that's not what I do. So it's how you interpret those things. Mm -hmm. And then just when you think that this machine is total junk and this is just randomly popping out like those old um, soothsayer Mm -hmm. um, machines at the uh, carnival, it will hit it right on the nose where like they obviously know the person who's receiving this card. But then there's this open question, is this mysterious? Where did it come from? And as we have these different episodes, we go into seeing different characters we've already met, but then we see them get the card for the first time and how it changes their lives. So we're revealing where the machine might've come from or not. And simultaneously, we are investigating like how they react to the card, but they also, there's an underlying mystery of some tragedy that's happened that we're not fully aware of yet. And it's mm-hmm. episode by episode revealing a little bit more of that, especially episode three, I thought was just really, really terrific, a potent um, episode of television. I mean, it's very warm and fuzzy and humane, uh, has all the things that shrinking had go for going for it. It's not laugh out loud funny. It's just kind of like quirky in this kind of situations that people put themselves into. Uh, it's also like a big hangout show where like people get together mm-hmm. at the bar and they all talk about mm-hmm. the cards and what's going on in their lives. So it mm-hmm. has that feel of it too. Anyway, all these things I think are things you're going to really like. And uh, and if you don't like the supernatural element to it, it's completely open as to whether there's any supernatural element to it at all. So, and I think that's pretend kind of- it's not there if you don't like <laughs> it. <laughs> and I, I would not be surprised at all if you know how these things are, where at the end it may leave things ambiguous, and people will who will probably be like starting Reddit boards trying to decipher clues will be very upset by this. And what I would say is that is the least interesting part of the show to me right now. So mm-hmm. I would, and I think that is probably why I would recommend it to you so highly. So check that out. It's called The Big Door Prize, and that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Interesting. All right. <laughs> on a darker <laughs> note, let's um, talk about this week's episode of Yellow Jackets. Let's do it. So the first thing I wanted to tell you, by the way, is I looked at the credits and compared it to last year. They are indeed completely different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly what they show, they don't really show anything that might be spoilers for this show, I don't think. Most of what they show is really these actresses, the young versions and the mm-hmm. current versions, mm-hmm. and like an effect where like it's like a TV distortion coming on and you see their faces switch back and forth. The one thing that I think is a clue, by the way, for uh, the season, I should say, is that we see someone pull out a card. It's like a card with blood on it, but it looks like these cards have been dealt out. And then you see someone mm-hmm. burning the cards. So maybe the cards are how they choose who gets eaten or something. I don't know exactly, hmm. but that does seem to be some motif in the credits that that might be worth considering. Hmm. The other thing about the credits, by the way, is that I mentioned in last week's recap that there was this weird eye guy with no eyes that turns up in the credits and that how that didn't pay off in the series. And then when I saw him again in this very episode of television, I'm like, oh no, that's the guy that Thais has been seeing since she was a little kid. So no, that was definitely there in season one. And I had just oh. forgotten it until this episode. Hmm. All right. So with that little context setting out of the way, I'm going to break down the episode. I've not recorded this yet, Sona. It's waiting for you. <laughs> All right. We open once again, Shauna is communing again with Frozen Jackie, similar to last Mm -hmm. week. We know she's seven months pregnant because Jackie makes that statement to her. We also find out that she's been styling her hair to cover her her missing ear. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't see the ear before the braids. So I don't know that the braids were necessary, but it's a plot device. So, okay. It's just something much more terrifying is that Jackie mentions that she's the one who always used to do Shauna's makeup. And now she asks Shauna to do her makeup and holy cow. Yeah. Shona obviously does yeah. not know how to put makeup on. You are working with a corpse, so I would imagine that that's <laughs> a different set of rules. Like there are people who specialize in doing the makeup in funeral homes. So I guess, you know, it's not that something just any makeup artist can do, maybe. I don't know. Perhaps. Trying Perhaps. to work with the show here. <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> she was chanting a little. Uh, it's um, a very heavy hand. Yes. Yeah. It's like uh, she's a little goth, like maybe like The Cure. Robert Smith. Like Robert Smith from The Cure. Uh, and of course, creepily, in that early segment, we see that she tells Shauna she's hungry for something, and it's not any more of the the uh, the bear. Stew. And she is cutting into her her arm. And of course, Shauna flinches away. But who's holding that knife? Shauna, you're the one who's doing the slicing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, other drama here at the cabin. <laughs> Someone pooped indoors. <laughs> <sighs> no one confesses to this. I don't understand why you wouldn't just come forward about it. I mean, this is just adding tension to it. Not to get too clinical about this, but how smelly- yeah, This whole scene was disgusting to me. So I really don't want to spend too much time here. <laughs> okay. I was going to say that I don't think that people are producing that much. Let's just say at this point. I had the same thought. I understand. Meanwhile, that night, Thaisa has walked outside. Despite being tied up, she has somehow released herself, cut through the rope somehow. And she's slept, walked, following the eyeless man. Here he's the eyeless man from the credits from last season. And uh, she almost walks off this cliff where we see the marking, the the marking that we've seen here multiple times here out in the woods. And Van, luckily, wakes up in the middle of the night. And maybe not so luckily for everybody else on the show, by the way, keeps Thaisa from walking off the edge of that cliff. It's really a miracle that both of these people survived (laughs) into the future. I mean, making the assumption about Van, but yeah. (laughs) I love the fact that um, 
Van is thinking, well, you know what? Maybe Lottie can help. She's been helped other people who have panic attacks. I know you don't really believe in her or whatever, but maybe she can help. And of course, Thaisa being Thaisa, <laughs> she's like, I do not want to ever accept the fact that I have this problem or ever seek help at all. On the one hand, yes. And then on the other hand, I also would roll my eyes at the idea that Lottie's going to fix whatever thing is going on there. It's exactly. way beyond a 16-year-old girl's purview. I mean, supernatural powers aside. Hey, even if it's a placebo effect, it's just at this point, she needs something, anything. I mean, fair. I, I can see both sides of it, I guess, is my point. <laughs> <laughs> I still go back to the fact that if Taysa just walked off that cliff, everybody would be better off on this show right now. Yes. Just where she is. <laughs> Argu- There's an argument to be made there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Natalie and um, Travis are out again. It's their routine, looking for food. But of course, Travis is not really helping with that. He's really just looking for hobby. Unlike... Thaisa, Travis, totally believes in Lottie's magical abilities, and more and more so, it seems, over the course of the show. And because she said that Javi was still alive, he's not going to stop looking. But Natalie has a plan for that. She takes some of Javi's shorts from his bag. She cuts her leg, puts some blood on it. And then when they meet up at the end of their daily search, she tells him that she's found these pants hanging on a tree, and it must mean that Javi is dead. And this is kind of like a release for Travis here kind of accept this. And once again, going to seeing both sides of this, Sona, I think you may have a similar situation here where obviously what she's doing is wrong, but if she truly believes that Javi is dead, or I mean, even if he was alive at one point, the fact that it's been months, Travis might end up killing himself looking for him. How do you feel about this? Like, do you think she's doing the right thing? She's doing the wrong thing? Do you see both sides again? I felt pretty strongly that it was the wrong thing. Although I do understand your point and I do understand the idea of like for the good of the group, he needs to focus on the hunting. Theoretically, if you're not going to eat people, you do need to eat something. (laughs) So so I get where she was coming from in that way. But it just seemed too manipulative about something so important. I will say as an aside, I can't remember if I ever had this thought last season. But in this particular episode, I thought... Young Natalie um, tied together very well with older Natalie. Like I could see similar traits between them and the way they were talking and their cadence and even the the tone of the voice seemed very reminiscent. It was very believable to me that this could be the younger version of grown up Natalie. It's a good point you make because I, especially in season one, had to keep reminding myself who is this person in the context of the past and present right. because right. they weren't, there wasn't that really strong uh, through mm-hmm. line, except for the casting, for example, Shauna, I think is a great casting for a young version to older version. I agree. Although ironically, this does not look like Melanie Linsky looked when she was younger. It's still in the context of the show is very much like recognizable. That makes sense. If yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> this fictionalized version of her. Yes. What did you think about what Natalie did? If you have to pick a side of right or wrong, where do you come down? I come down on her side because I think yeah. she's doing it for the right reason. Yeah, I understand that. You know what I mean? It's And it's but not only because... I don't think it's 100% the right reasons. The reason I would say that it's the right reasons in the grand scheme of things is it's not only that she wants her, she wants him to help her hunt, which of course she does. And even just in that way, I mean, even like the context of work, sometimes you have to just tell your team member to like, just focus on this and then we have to get this done. So there's that aspect to it. But I think more so she really does care for him. And if he does get lost in the woods, because he keeps going further and further out on these hiking expeditions, and 
night falls and she loses him, I mean, she is looking out for him in that way as well. So I think she cares about it is the point. I agree with all of that, but I also think there's a part of her that is getting very unnerved by how he's growing closer to Lottie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think this there's is a, a, a way to end that. Yes, that's that's an aspect of it as well. I agree. And uh, she probably has a right a reason to be considering where we end up with at the end of this episode. Right. <laughs> Not just with the cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, uh, this is what Th- Thaisa, you know, may have a, a suppressed murderous feral persona but she will not abide that shauna is putting makeup on these jackie this frozen jackie character. <laughs> that's where she draws the line <laughs> although i think this is also her like kind of like saying i'm not crazy that's crazy so i think that all of this is kind of a, an overreaction to cover up for her own craziness i did laugh out loud though the revelation of of jackie with the you know really bad makeup tutorial <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was, as I think Teresa said, like a, a really twisted version of a doll. <laughs> yes. So they have to get rid of Jackie. Thaisa makes her argument and she gets everybody on her side. They kind of come around pretty quickly, especially when they say, well, we can't even bury her. What are we going to do? And of course, she says, we could always burn her. First of all, the writing was on the wall right there. Yes. Yes. A second, right. as someone whose culture does believe in cremation, I know very few things about cremation, but one thing I know is it takes a very, very surprisingly long time to cremate someone. And that's in a proper crematorium. <laughs> right. Later, when they actually make the funeral pyre, although we'll come back to that scene at the end, um, regardless, because there's a lot to say there. <laughs> but when they're preparing for that, they're arguing about whether they should take her jacket off, whether they should take her clothes. There's another moral question for you. I'm the one to think that this person's already dead and we need those jackets. We need. I would absolutely take the jacket. I don't know if she had shoes. I would take shoes. The actual clothes themselves, I think that's a little bit more negligible, but the stuff that helps you in the cold weather, I would definitely take. Yeah, like her jeans or something, probably not that worthwhile, but the uh, jacket for sure. Because I mean, the scenery in this episode was beautiful, but also it looked very, very cold. I wonder when they shoot this, how cold these four actresses are during the shooting of this whole show. Yeah, they're like knee deep in snow walking around. I think they shot when the weather was warmer. So I don't know if they shot someplace where they have snow or if it's fake snow. It doesn't look fake snow. So it doesn't look fake. And it's such a massive quantity. But I mean, I do assume, you know, they're dressed properly for it in layers or whatever. So we'll come back to that cremation, obviously, by the end of the episode. But let's talk about the ladies in current time. Uh, first of all, Thaisa, she knows how to solve this problem. <laughs> hey, if I'm a crazy person while I'm sleeping, I'll just pound coffee all day and do exercise. Oh and that way, God. if I never sleep, you know, that's always works out really well. Nightmare on Elm Street rules. <laughs> to never sleep Yikes. Again. And there's that moment we saw it in, um, what was that movie? Don't Worry Darling, right? Where uh, at one point she's in the mirror, she puts her head down and we see her reflection do something different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Always a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> and then her son shows up. I just walked all the way home from school. And Thaisa says, oh, well, go play with the dog or something. I'll call Simone up. She calls up Simone, lets her know that, you know what? He walked all the way here. Hey, I didn't do this. Don't get mad at me. He did this all on his own. Simone shows up, annoyed, obviously. And the door is locked. Thaisa has fallen asleep, sitting down. And I started worrying. I thought this was really bad. I thought they were going to find like the kid oh in the gosh. hidden room or something at this oh point. Oh, no, in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They did check the basement, by the way, where she's just like, I don't oh know where he went. Gosh. Like, check the basement. 
luckily for him anyway, that turned out to not be the case. Instead, they like start driving out going like, where could this kid have gone? Maybe he's acting up for attention. And of course, Simone gets a phone call from the school saying, your son's here. He's been sitting here for two hours. Where two are hours. you, lady? You have to pick yeah. up your kid. And then she's like, oh my God, Thaisa, you are crazier than we even expected. You don't even know when you're awake or asleep. You're not even in control of your faculties. When you're awake, you got to do something right now, which she already threatened her with just last week. Thaisa's like, uh, oh, maybe this was her plan from the very beginning, or this, at least her, this creepy second persona of hers. She's like, I'm just going to drive into traffic and get T-boned. And what is she trying to do? Kill Simone? Is that what her plan was here? What, what do you think? I don't know if there was a plan or just an irrational reaction to slam on the accelerator. I'm not sure what was happening there. She was saying you need to go seek help right now. I understand the idea of like, well, I'm not taking myself into an, I'm not checking myself into some kind of facility right now. So I need a way out of it. But I don't know if it was calculated of like, I'm going to get in a car accident. And I don't know. You think so? That's why I was thinking it was, might be more calculated than that. This That this persona might be trying to manipulate her because- you know, she invents the kid being there, which of course brings Simone to the house. And then I don't know if the car accident was part of it or who knows, maybe she was just going to kill her in the house or something and put her in a little, <laughs> in that extra room they have in the basement. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it seemed calculated to get her there by herself, possibly. I would now have to think about this. If there is intentionality to this other character, this other persona of hers, I wonder if there, the some of that craziness that happened last season was manipulating her it's like a way to manipulate um, Thaisa's conscious character into doing things that she may not want to do. I may, I may, I've never read it that way, but maybe that's possible. Mm, me either. Meanwhile, Natalie and Lottie are uh, at the commune. It's, oh, excuse me. It's not a cult. It's an intentional community. <laughs> yes. And it's not purple people. It's heliotrope. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. This whole thing is really interesting, I think, to, to find out what's actually going on here. Because first of all, Natalie's like, you kidnapped me. Of course, on its face, that sounds completely rational. It is the fact of what happened, yes. <laughs> but then Lottie makes a very good point that's saying like, hey, we were just watching you and you were in the process of shooting your head off. We had to improvise. We didn't have much of a choice. Like literally watching every single minute, <laughs> apparently. Exactly. As was Misty at one point, right? Because remember she had the kid in camera in the, in the hotel and she intervened <laughs> the other time that Natalie tried to kill herself. Yeah. Or, or not That's kill herself. She tried, to, she tried to do coke, right? And then she came in to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to intercede. Natalie's always being watched by somebody, basically. <laughs> yeah, no wonder that lady's losing her mind, though. <laughs> it's a real catch-22 of which came first there. <laughs> You're not paranoid if they're actually watching you. Right, exactly. But it was interesting when she has a very snotty response to that girl who um, brought mm -hmm. her the wrong tea. <laughs> But uh, at least she didn't take a fork to the eye. So it's still a better day than yesterday. <laughs> yeah. She didn't make her remake the shake in the end. That's true. So, you know, that's a plus. I had a feeling that she only did that because Natalie was there. She may have, if she Maybe. hadn't been there, she might have very well done that. I will say I was impressed that they had um, in those cabins, color coordinated Birkenstocks for everybody. <laughs> See, there's some, there's some upsides to, li to living out there. Yeah, it's nice. Oh. Some like cult swag. <laughs> very nice. It's true. All right, now here's the big revelation. Lottie tells Natalie that she was there when Travis hung himself. He basically said that he wanted to get himself as close to death as possible because that's how the other girls had their visions. And he said, this is how I'm going to do it. And if you don't let me down, then I'm going to die and you're going to be responsible for that. So Lottie sticks around. Uh, the pattern of on the ground of the symbol that apparently he set those candles up that way, that seems to be what's being uh, presented there. 
Natalie kind of believes her, but knows that she's hiding something. And we see in the flashback that what she's hiding is the fact that she wasn't able to bring Travis down, or that's what she says anyway. But she also has some like terrifying vision of something. Who's that girl? The one that was in the plane, right? That yeah. Tried to fly away for help and the plane exploded. Right. And then we see her like with like a blackened face. Maybe this is like right. her being haunted because she did encourage that girl to to fly the plane. Like it was going to, she had a vision that it was going to work Laura out. Laura Lee, something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Very religious, right? That girl? Yes, she was very religious. Yeah. Correct. And then when she comes out of this like reverie, uh, she realizes that Travis is dead and she did not lower him down. And he's even higher up than he was at the previously. And she seems really upset in this flashback. And I assume that's her. We're only seeing her point of view. It's not like she's seeing, we're not seeing like Natalie's point of view or anything because he, she doesn't even tell Natalie this part of the story. So what's going on there? How much of the story should we believe? There are some shady Wait. things here, right? Like if Travis really was not planning to kill himself, but then she goes, he gave me his bank information. Like why would she give your bank information if you if you don't think you're going to die? I've forgotten about the bank, bank information part. But it is true, right? Or was it just a fiction where they showed the button was jammed and not working? Well, that's her telling the story. So, I mean, I guess that could be. It seemed like both those things happened. I don't know. Right, right. When she says the the button jammed, I think we're still seeing the story she's telling Natalie. And then there's okay. that other part that she's not telling her. Did she intentionally kill Travis? And that's what led to the vision. I don't think that's the case, though, because why would she tell Natalie that at all? Like she could have just not told her <laughs> about any of this. Right. So I think that most of that is true. At one point in the flashback, she asks Travis, like, well, what were you going to do to get yourself down if I wasn't here? And I mean, I think that was a good question. Like, yeah. what was the plan? Because I do think hanging yourself is pretty quick. Yeah, a few, a few minutes. I mean, if you're waiting for that vision to come, I don't think at that point you really have the time and the awareness to get yourself down at that point. He definitely wouldn't be able to do it because by the time he would be that close, he probably would be unconscious. So he wouldn't be able right, to push the button. Exactly. So, so what was the deal if... She didn't show up. What was he going to do? Yeah, I just don't think that she is like she murdered him because I don't understand why she would tell Natalie this or if Natalie can be a problem for her. Like, why wouldn't she just let Natalie kill herself? Right. Because that's like, hey, <laughs> like she had nothing to do with that. That would have just happened. Right. So I, I think that she's mostly telling the truth, but maybe there's more to it. Like, did she did she talk Travis into doing this? Because maybe he would have a that's vision. That's literally. And then, yeah. I was just you know about I mean? to guess that. Mm hmm. And then like she's, and then this thing happened and she got distracted by this vision and she's like, oh my God, I killed him. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe something like that happened. He seems to really, at least from what we're seeing, revere her in a way. So right, if right. she suggested to him that this could be the solution, I could see him going along with it. I think that's what's going to be the next shoe to drop there. You know, and we still have the question of the, Nat was right. What did it mean? Okay, that's a very good point. Yes, this is... Lottie showing her that, right? At the end of the last episode. Maybe, maybe Lottie is more nefarious than we suspect at this moment, or I do anyway, and that she needs to know this part of the puzzle. Like what was Travis saying that Natalie was right about? And Lottie wants to know that. And to that point, Natalie's like, okay, well, thank you very much. I'm out of here now. And uh, they're like, oh, you know, last ride just left. So you missed it. But You'll have another chance tomorrow. So this may just be another way to keep her around to right. figure out what this clue might be. Meanwhile, we see Callie has broken up with Kyle. Again, seems this is like a weekly thing. I don't know why he's surprised anymore. 
<laughs> I know he's being like like annoying here in this particular scene, but is in this defense, he does not know <laughs> that she suspects her mother of being a murderer. Right? Like that is something that he couldn't possibly know. And also in his defense, chocolate chip pancakes are delicious. That's right. That's right. His mom's very cool with them hanging out together in the middle, you know, in bed. I guess so. Yeah. Very progressive mom. <laughs> and very respectful to text rather than knock on the door. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> Shauna tries to bond with her when she gets back home by taking her shopping. This is when Kevin shows up, the detective, and kind of gives Shauna the heads up that they're investigating her and mentions that there's a lot of text messages that went back and forth between them. And she's still trying to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we had this fender bender. So we texted back and forth a bunch of times. If they're saying they saw the texts, I mean, unless they were really, really discreet in their texting, which is possible, then uh, they probably know that this was a just fender bender. It's a kind of a stupid thing for her to try to pull off here. I am assuming that all they have is the records of the numbers texting back and forth. But then you can get your t- the text messages, right? Like we just saw them in some of these recent cases, right? They, they see the actual text messages. Right? It's a very short window, depending on your carrier. <laughs> I, I know this from work. Depending on your carrier, it's a very short window to retrieve text messages, like just a few days, generally. Oh, I didn't realize that. Depends on your carrier. And, you know, maybe <laughs> depends on who you are. You know, maybe they'll dig a little deeper for law enforcement than they would for, you know, a private entity. But that is my understanding. So I'm assuming, at least here, where the disappearance is pretty recent, they're just looking at the, you know, you texted this number at this time on this day. So despite the fact that Callie has all these issues with her mom, she does, in the end, when Kevin starts snooping and asking some of the harder questions, she actually comes and says, come on, mom, we got to go and breaks things up and gets her out of Yes. And this is when Shauna makes up some excuse about, oh, well, you know, they're just not going to believe it was just an affair. They're going to keep asking questions. They're going to keep digging. Callie absolutely knows that her mom is lying to her, which Mm -hmm. makes her even more upset. And she heads off to a bar with her friend and starts trying to talk to her about it without getting into too much details. She really just talks about trying to break up with um, her boyfriend. And she notices some guy at the bar with a denim jacket on and a porn stash. This guy looks like he's right out of Central Casting 1970s. So it does not look like he's, uh, you know, not, it's going way past the 1990s, even further back. I think, though, that whole look has come back, right? Enough time has passed that we're back in that era. Well, he's a hipster, right? So maybe that's the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> he says he's from Brooklyn. She noticed him and starts flirting with him. And she's not, she's very, a lot of people on this show are not really good at covering their tracks. Not really good at, um, uh, including Shauna, by the way, who should be much more wary of this. And she just starts spilling all the beans like, oh, my parents are, mm-hmm. my mother was cheating on my my father. And of course, it turns out by the end of the episode that this guy is actually one of the cops in the department who's been tailing her to keep an eye on the family to see if they do anything suspicious. And she walks right into his trap. And it looks like they're going to keep this ruse going. He's going to keep trying to date her and at least go on a date with her, I would say, and get more information if possible fairness she's like what a 16 year old girl so i think she's this a bar though isn't this i guess she's in college right not in high school right no no she's lying isn't she she's in high school i thought i i'm confused by, by this to be honest with you i assumed she was old enough because they went to that remember that big party they went to last year where she ran into adam and her mom Yes, but are you going to act like we never did stuff like that when when we were younger? Oh, I'm not denying that that's not impossible. I'm just trying to remember if there's any context setting that she's in high school rather than being 
in college because it would still make sense if she was in college, right? She lives at home. Her boyfriend lives at home. Yeah, well, that's still not doesn't really mean that much nowadays. <laughs> no, I I think she's in high school. I originally thought the same. And then I think she lied and said I'm at Rutgers. Yeah, oh yeah, she definitely because she doesn't want to be gel bait to this guy that is clearly over 21. Right. <laughs> He's like 30 or something. <laughs> that was my sense of it. Before we go back to the night that we've all been waiting for on this show or dreading it one way or the other. But before we get back to that, one more person I wanted to catch up with was Misty. So Misty has posted on a message board asking about how do I get onto this camera? And Elijah Wood's character, Walter, has reached out to her and said, that camera's a decoy. It's not real. I liked all of the other comments on the message board, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. That's antiquated. Take a hammer to it. You'll never do it. This is trash. <laughs> I, I liked it. <laughs> oh, and he mentions right there in the first comment, like you mentioned, uh, that, that whole conversation in that thread that she says, you have to stop downvoting my theory that Sean is a murderer. Mm-hmm. And maybe I can help you out. And then he shows up at her place of work. This guy's very adept at what he does. Shows up at her place of work. He's all cloak and dagger, by the way. He's like there with his mom looking for a place supposedly. Yes. And leaves her a note. It's in invisible ink. It's addressed to her. he knows which one is her lunch container too. Very strange. Yeah. He has been like really snooping on her. It was pretty crazy. Small town, New Jersey. Everyone's just watching everyone every minute of the day. Apparently. Apparently. (laughs) He says the camera doesn't work, but that there's someone there at the hotel that's been at the motel that's been living there long term. And he's going to go interview him and pretend to be a police officer and she can participate. So, Sona, is this a match made in heaven? These guys are so cute. These crazy conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Or is this like, is this like a hellish, another situation where Missy's going to have him locked up in the basement at one point and going to poison his cigarettes or whatever his snack of choices? Which direction is this this relationship going to go into? Why not both? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. That's true. It starts nice and gets really bad. I feel like, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of similarities. She's been looking for a man, hasn't been able to find anyone that's on her level. I think it could work. But then I think in the end, her true loyalty is to her friends. And so at some point, she's going to have to make a choice. And and Elijah Wood is going to be on the losing end of that. The tricky part of all that, by the way, is, of course, that you know right now, she's just doing this investigation. And he seems to be a very good investigator. If he starts to discover things, it's not going to take long for him to be like, oh, Shauna is in the circle of friends. Yep. Like That's going to happen pretty quickly. Yep. So I'm very much looking forward to how that all plays out. And by the way, Christina Ricci, is just so great in this role. Like I hate so much looking forward to the interactions between these two characters. Mm-hmm, I agree. All right. So we get to the end of the episode. A bunch of things happen here. They build that funeral pyre. She <laughs> burn Jackie. Shauna says her goodbyes. It's very sad, this whole sequence where, you know, they're so close, you know, teenage girls have these very, very close relationships. Yes. So you really feel here for this relationship, which has gone bad, but the, often these relationships do go bad. That's how it goes. Yeah. Lottie takes off Jackie's necklace and puts it on to Shauna. Natalie and Travis have returned. Travis says that they found Javi's pants. He's dead. And Lottie's like, no, he isn't. That's not what I felt. (laughs) And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Natalie's like, "Uh, shut up, Lottie, shut up already. Yes, enough. Which, by the way, makes me think that, you know, if you're going to believe anything on this show at all, that I think Javi is still alive. Once again, I mentioned that earlier, too, that it's just like, it just doesn't make sense that there would be this whole Javi thing and it wouldn't pay off in some way. So I think that, right. you know, I think I do believe that Javi's going to turn up somewhere like in the middle of the season, just show up somewhere and God knows how he's been surviving. 
And then Travis and Nat are having sex later that night after the funeral pyre has been burning and everybody's inside sleeping. Nat decides to keep her pants on so she doesn't show the sliced up leg. Much more interesting is that during the lovemaking, Travis has visions of Lottie, like this glowing version of Lottie, and in the place of Natalie. This whole thing is really weird, right? Like what's happening at this moment? I'm happy you seem intrigued because I was just annoyed. (laughs) Why were you annoyed? Tell me. It didn't feel in keeping with what this show has been. I just felt like it was very over the top and made me roll my eyes and like maybe one flash would have been okay. But the constant like intermittent flashes to her and just the the way it looked all glowy and whatever, like I just didn't, it didn't work for me. I didn't mind the point it was making. I do agree with a little bit with the heavy handedness of it because I don't want it to be a sexual attraction, right? Like if he's right. you know, truly falling under her power, she was just trying to calm him down. And in her place, she's seeing Lottie, that would be, and she did have that scene last week, right? Where she was able to calm him down. Then maybe that would make more sense. But this is during their lovemaking. So it's like, yeah. is it going to become like a, a love, like a romantic triangle that which I really am not interested in seeing, to be honest. Yeah, maybe my tolerance would have been higher had it not been followed with the other scene, the final scene. So all of it put together, uh, it just was very off-putting to me. (laughs) So then, yes, we'll get to the final scene. I can't wait to get your reaction to this because I know this is the thing you've been dreading the most on this whole entire show. Mm -hmm. The Radiohead starts playing on the soundtrack and and I right away, I was like, I had goosebumps. I'm like, oh my God. It's the cannibalism. I, I I honestly thought that they were going to kind of drag this on for a while. But when I heard the radio had coming in on the soundtrack, I'm like, oh, my God, here it is. It's coming. It's here. <laughs> it's the theme song to cannibalism. <laughs> we see this point of view shot very interestingly, by the way, this point of view shot of like this evil wind, which we've seen before on the show. I had a question as to whether that we were supposed to take that literally, that there's some kind of force or whether it was just a coincidence. Like the, the last time we saw this was when the wind blew up in one, at one point and then Lottie, they were doing the uh, Ouija board and Lottie was like speaking mm-hmm, in tongues mm-hmm. at one point. And there's this POV shot where like the camera is like moving with the wind and it blows the window open. And then she had this moment. And at that time, I'm like, are we supposed to take that literally that there's some force that came in or mm-hmm. was it just like the wind? And it was just, a, but now we see exactly the same thing, like the wind kind of drifting. And then it blows down this snow pile right onto the funeral pyre. And then everybody wakes up in the middle of the night and they're like, uh, what is that delicious, delicious smell I hear? Yes, as if someone <laughs> baked cookies. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's like this, like the, the snow is like melted. She's been steaming all night. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's like, you know, like the way you make, uh, the way that you steam uh, uh, dumplings or something. <laughs> like just slow roast, like a slow cooker. Like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And then, oh, I actually got nauseous at this. It wasn't just the visuals of this burnt body and everybody grabbing at it, which was much more grotesque than I expected. It wasn't that. The part that nauseated me was intercutting it with that like bacchanal. Yes. Because like they're just like shoving watermelon in their mouth and it's just running down their cheeks. And then when you know what that actually represents, I was like, oh, it's so gross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's my reaction to it. But now, you know, I, I'm watching The Last of Us and that's my reaction to it. So I'm like, oh, Soda must be loving this. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's going to be disgusting. I don't know that it had to be as graphic as it was. I certainly don't think it had to be cut together with that Bacchanal type situation. 
I questioned the decision-making that led us to the last 10 <laughs> minutes of this episode. The last, very last thing we see is uh, Ben. We see his him take a step forward. Like he almost partake, partakes. And then he decides not to. And he uh, goes inside and slams the door shut behind him. And it's funny because like Ben's almost been like invisible for these first two episodes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, probably, yeah. probably the mm-hmm. best thing he could do right now is just keep your head down. You, you might be that, you know, you have a missing leg. They, you might right. just meet. <laughs> they might be like, hmm, you're not as useful as you used to be. <laughs> <laughs> and if we steam you just the right way, you could be delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm speechless. What can I say? I'm just trying to remember a very, very old movie. I think it was called Alive. Alive, mm-hmm. yes. Right, about the soccer team. I think mm-hmm. it was a soccer yeah. team that crashes in the mountains and they end up eating somebody. And I saw that movie. And I mean, obviously, there's no reason anyone has to make the same sort of decisions when portraying cannibalism. But I just remember it being done in a much more tasteful way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, 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 that was based on a, a true story and they didn't yes. have fire either, right? True. So that was just, um, true. that's, um, what's his name? Uh, Ethan, Ethan Hawke? Hawk, right? yes. Yeah, I believe so. That is my only uh, measure of comparison for cannibalism on film, not counting um, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, of course. Yes. Well, but, you, um, yes, you, you did watch a whole series where Hannibal Lecter yes. ate people like every week. Yes, but it was a it was a different it was stylized. <laughs> yes. It was very stylized. It was like part of a seven course meal. Um, not people grabbing desperately at Just, this. Exactly. At their, Just tearing it. at their teammate. Yeah. I understand maybe they're trying to convey the depths that these people are at and the manic nature of of this because they've been driven to it. But I still think it could have been done differently in a way that was maybe less grotesque. Again, like the 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 toga dinner thing. I, I don't know what that really got us. I, I don't know. I'd say this worked for me. And the reason it worked for me, first of all, is it is grotesque. Like it nauseated me, literally. Yeah. And I think it intended to, like to your point, I don't think they wanted it to be like the uh, film Alive where they are you know trying to be as honorable to what they're doing because a i don't think it's a conscious decision decision that's being made that they literally woke up woke up and smelled something delicious and you can imagine being like so starved given yes i get that it's grim i get that i think it was the cutting together with the other scene that really i didn't care for oh and and that's the other part i was going to add to it also, I can make the same critique, but at the same time, that was the part that I found most repulsive. So once again, if their intention was to repulse me, and I think it was, I don't think it was supposed to be that your analogy to Alive, I mean, that is based on true people who participated yes. in the yes. film and they wanted to make it not look grotesque. They wanted to be like, this is Fair. what they would have done. And they have these kind of philosophical conversations about this is what they would have wanted anyway. By the way, you could have made the same argument here that you know, once a friend has died, that you know, I agree. They probably would say, like, I want my friends to survive. I but agree. I don't think that's the point. I think it wants to repel, repulse us. And I think it-, it Okay, it but I don't think it's in keeping with what this show has been to be cutting yes. together scenes like that. So to me, the show has not established itself as like that type of feel, right. that type of thing, that type of editing. So to me, it was particularly off-putting here that this would be the first time they would do it. 
I think you make a really good point with that. I think that's an excellent point because even when we see that glowing vision, I think that we have seen many times. Some of these characters have mental illness. Some of these characters are just starved. And, you know, we probably all have the experience in our own lives of being like just having pulling an all nighter and hallucinating things that are not sure. actually happening to a much lesser extent, obviously, than this. Sure. So you can imagine these people being in a completely crazy state of mind. But you're absolutely right that that is something out of like a music video or something that uh, is like a style that is not in this show at all up, up until that point. You're right. Yeah. Yes. And people see flashes of things, but not yeah. that are like in this manner or in this mood and not such a frequent flashing back and forth, I feel like. Right. right. Like I felt like we were watching just as much, if not more, of the Bacchanal scene as we were of the actual cannibalism. Like, Maybe if it had just been three times or something, I would have been okay with it or shorter. I, I don't know. And also, it doesn't make sense. You're right. Like from a stylistic point of view, like w all those other experiences we saw, it's like we're seeing somebody in like a fugue state or something having a vision. And we see even like the imagery is 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 warped. Like when we see Thaisa's right, right, visions right. when she's sleepwalking, the the, the camera's Dark like telling us that we're in yeah. like another headspace basically. But that like brightly lit exactly stage Sunny, sequence yeah, and right. who and like who is seeing that like where is that vision coming from right like that we right. and you're right we've never seen that where it just has this stylistic choice we're always in someone's point of view and that's the only time yes. like, we've not been in the point of view unless it's ben's point of view but that doesn't make sense either <laughs> maybe partly it was the content that bothered me and pro yeah. and you know probably mostly the content but also the style of it was very off-putting to me I was shocked though. I got to say that the, just seeing that it's very brief, but seeing the actual body and then pulling at it, like I did not Instagram. expect to see that. I thought it was going to be yeah. like, you know, like in that very first episode where everything is kind of done, like even you see that the body's being dismembered, but it's happening almost in the shadows. And then you just see them eating yeah. meat. you never saw anything yeah. like this. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I was kind of really shocked by, by it, to be honest. So, yeah. And that's where we leave it <laughs> on that bright note. <laughs> <sighs> How do you feel about the show at this point? I don't think we're going to see grisly cannibalism from this point on. It's going to be like the rigor on the show. We might see them eating meat, obviously, like we saw them making stew previously. But I don't think they're going to have anything like this grotesque other than like occasionally to shock us. But we never saw anything like this in all of season one. So I don't think it's going to be a common thing. But does it put you off the show at all? As much as I hate cannibalism, I... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and who doesn't? But... um I didn't find that as off-putting as the stylistic choices. If you had just shown me the last 10 minutes of this show, that is not a show I want to watch. Right. Um, cannibalism aside. So I just hope <laughs> that there's a return to the style it has been for the 99.5% of this, aside from the last 10 minutes of this episode. What do you think? It didn't bother me as much as, as you... Yeah, it, it really as, bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. It didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. I do agree, though, if the show in general went in that direction, which, by the way, like Dexter would do stuff like that sometimes in the worst of, of the seasons of Dexter. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in the and honestly, in the in the, the reboot as well, right, where there's this whole other character and we had all those questions like going like, wait a second, does he have his knife to his own throat right now? What is happening right now? But anyway, so <laughs> like, but that type of thing turned me off to that show, right? And I do agree if that became the style of the show, I find it very problematic. For now, it didn't bother me that much because I think it was effective for what it was trying to do. 
But at the same time, if the show became the type of show that is trying to shock with its violence on a regular basis, I think that would be a turnoff too. Because like you said, that's not the point of the show. And as a mm-hmm. matter of fact, I was kind of the most exciting thing that I saw last week in this possibility of the show was when they had that liminal of uh, that moment in in the show where you see them returning on the plane because mm-hmm, at this mm-hmm. point it's like we know what happened out there we can now jump past that see the girls recovering anything that you know additional there would be you no know, people who didn't survive and additional details uh to like what they did discover out there that could be done like almost in the secondary flashback and i'm way more interested in seeing them trying to re adjust to Acclimate. being back at home and then you know the, and then having that as a separate timeline what are we going to just watch people freeze and then eat someone else? And it's like, that's not interesting to me for long periods of time. Yeah. I mean, I was so negative about the last 10 minutes of this show that I felt like, you know what? I could just watch the current day timeline. I don't need to see <laughs> the rest <laughs> of what happens back there. But okay, let's think about it. We could find out what happened to uh, Javier, right? They could decide in a calculated manner, decide who gets eaten next. I guess that right. could be interesting. We could see... Lottie becoming a legitimate cult leader, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas for what's left to see in this timeline. If Javi survived, and if there is some additional mystery, not only it could be an actual cult of people, right, or it could be just got stuck somewhere, like he felt, you know, there was an avalanche or something, and he ended up in the secondary location. When the spring comes, he'll turn back up again. He'll take them to that location, and then there'll be a whole other mystery there. As a matter of fact, I think that in the coming attractions for the season, I could be wrong about this because there were so many little snippets in there, but I think there's another plane that they find. So maybe he's at another location and there's another plane and maybe that's how they escape. And we have to see what happens with this baby because the oh my God, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I forgot to bring that up again. I'm so glad you brought it up because I was thinking about that again this week. I thought about it last season and had not even mentioned it since then. But yeah, this baby is coming. And right. where where is this baby? You know, obviously it's not not around in the current day. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, her, that's it's twenty five years later. Her daughter is not twenty five years old. Her daughter's much yes. young, much younger than that. Is there another girl out there somewhere who's twenty five years old? And if it's not, then what happened to the baby? <laughs> right. Who, who ate the baby? <laughs> oh my God! Don't say that. Oh my God! <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I hope so. I hope I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So we got to the end, Sona. Next week, hopefully, no one gets eaten. Cross your fingers. <laughs> yeah. And check out uh, the Big Door Prize. I think you're going to yeah, like it. Yeah, for sure. And maybe you can give me your thoughts on it next week. Sure. Or even, I mean, if you watch it before Succession, I forgot to bring that up, we'll be watching the next episode of Succession. That's right. And we'll be recapping that for you as well. My main reason to bring it up is not even for more content on the show because we got plenty of content. <laughs> it's more because I think you'll act, given how much you like shrinking, I think you're going to like this one. How altruistic of you. Thank you. <laughs> it's the only thing I ever think about, Sona. <laughs> Your TV watching. I appreciate it. I'm just trying to keep you away from as much reality TV as I can. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a good job. It's definitely eating See? into my reality TV time. <laughs> I, little by little, I got to hog it all up. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. <laughs>